Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today for our first episode of 2022 is my friend and colleague, Mr. Tim Perkins. How are you, Perko? Very well, Mr. Hasler. How are you doing today? How are you recovering from the, the post-ashes? Are, have you, are, you, are you the phoenix rising? Slowly. From I mean, the English ashes? Slowly. Debacle? Slowly. I mean, as you can tell, it's it's been it's been a while. Like, we're in March and... This is the, this is the, the first time you've shown your face it's publicly. The, it's the first time I've felt you know confident enough to get back on the airwaves because yeah. my word was I copying it from all all quarters yeah. on the social media front. My so heart does go out to you. Actually, people yeah. who I thought people who presented as friends. I've got yeah. to be honest. Yeah. They presented as friends, but oh my word, when they get a chance, they like to mm. slip a, a little sly dig in here and here and there. You've actually got a turncoat friend as well, haven't you? An English fellow who's actually supporting Australia in the ashes, I, I believe. An ex-colleague who yes, got a, bit, a bit behind he, he, Australia. He, he blows with the wind. Uh, you know, like if when things are good, he's good. I remember going to the ashes with him when, when England were dominant way back in, I don't know when it was, maybe 2011, I think we came out here and, and did really well. And oh, he was loving it then. But oh, oh yeah, times have go. changed. Times mm, have changed. Fair weather. I'll tell you what else I've been copying. Complaints, Perko. Don't tell me. I'm telling you, complaints about the podcast. Oh, there you go. It but, had to happen. But it did. I'm surprised <laughs> it's taken so long. But, but it, 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 you know, a silver line to it, complaints that there weren't enough episodes. Oh, there you go. I had, I had a chap from America email saying he was concerned, concerned yeah. at the lack of episodes this year. Yeah. So coupled with um, Instagram messages and all manner of people saying, hey, where, where's the podcast? Where's Perko? Mm. Where's Perko? So we're back. We're back for 2022. The first episode um, that we're going to do today is a Q&A episode. We put the call out to our, our newsletter and to our um, people on socials, on LinkedIn and whatnot. And we've got some questions and we've got we've got one voicemail question, I do know, from, yes. from Merwin. And then we've got a few other questions which have come in over, over the text. Now, we've got a dilemma here, Dan. Where, what is it, mate? I don't remember <laughs> what the answering machine looks like. What does an answering machine look I don't, like? I think we need to... It's definitely around here somewhere. <laughs> let's just have a... Merwin's taking the time to... Let's have a find it. Shuffle some paper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's got to be something here. Where is it? Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah, it's flashing. Yeah, just pu- push uh, that I hit button. that one? Yeah, yeah, push that button there. That's the one. Hi, Dan and Tim. Just a quick question for you guys. First time principal, um, going into um, your first, I guess, principalship, being relatively young, um, what's some advice you have about, you know, the best way to sort of um, develop a bit of buy-in, I guess, um, from staff? And I guess that imposter uh, syndrome, you know, that, that really rings true. Um, I guess at times like this, um, what are some good ways to sort of manage that? Well, thanks for that, Merwin. Um, yeah, really a an interesting question, which is, well, two questions, I reckon, where you're talking about, you know, the, the imposter syndrome and then how to get buy-in. And I'm thinking of that old adage of, you know, how do we kill two birds with one stone? Because I think actually the 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 path to... Um, engaging people, the path to engaging these new colleagues, these new team members of yours to get that buy-in, the pathway to that starts with understanding that the, the benefits, if you like, of imposter syndrome. 
Because I think sometimes we see imposter syndrome as, as always a negative. You know, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm, I've got to prove myself. And, and what I'd like to challenge anyone who experiences um, imposter syndrome is to replace that phrase, imposter syndrome, replace that with humility. And replace it with, you know, this feeling of, um, oh, I've got to know all the answers. And sometimes, you know, when people feel like I've got to know all the answers, sometimes it becomes a relief when some people, someone, someone says to you, no, no, you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay. What I'd like you to do is actually replace that sentiment, that relief, with just a statement of fact. You don't know all the answers. Nobody knows all the answers all the time for all the issues, particularly when you've got a brand new group. And so I think replacing imposter syndrome with humility, the recognition that um, in order for you really to get the lay of the land and, and understand the situation that you find yourself in and the people that you're working with, the only way to do that is through asking questions. And by asking the right kinds of questions, for example, understanding what brought people to where they're at and their, their reason for teaching in, or uh, their reason uh, for going into education in the first place or what their hopes and aspirations are around leadership or what they hope for the community, asking really powerful questions like that will enable you to then craft responses, processes, uh, initiatives, which are based on where your people are at and where they want to go. And if you get those two right, that by definition is buy-in. Understanding where people are at and helping them get to where they want to go is a really, really powerful way to get buy-in. As opposed to thinking you need to have all the answers and coming up with the initiative on your own and then just hoping you can convince people to get on the bus. You know, there's a that adage of how do we get people on the bus? Well, you know, you could really be good at convincing and corralling and you know and, and cajoling or you can understand well what kind of bus do they want to build and where do they want to drive that bus so I think coming at it with with questions uh, we had a podcast episode Perko which one was it with Ed and Peter Shine number 50 it was our half century that's right memory yeah episode 50 where we spoke about the concept of humble leadership and humble inquiry and I think as I said, two birds with one stone asking questions. I think you'll get buy-in and you'll be able to even embrace this concept of not knowing and seeing that as a superpower as opposed to seeing as an imposter syndrome. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when uh, uh, someone new comes into an organisation, there's a lot of rhetoric around the idea of listening, taking time, not making too much in the way of change in the early days, perhaps even much in the first year really listening to your people and I think everything you've described there Dan it's really it's about people love to be listened to mm. people love to be heard people love to be authentically valued for who they are and where they're at mm. and in order for us as a new leader to come in we really in order to get the best out of our people really listening in finding out what are their concerns what what's driving yeah. what are their motivations what what where, where do they want to go with their career all of those sort of things so that you're really building a picture that, as you said, is is that new bus that mm. you're building together. Mm. I think um, as you were talking there, I'm just thinking, you know, like as a, as a leader, like really privileging curiosity mm. over certainty, you know, thinking that you have to have everything in place mm. and make a statement and prove yourself. Actually, in those first, as you say, whether it's a month, term, year, whatever it might be, whatever you feel is appropriate, 
um, yeah, having the patience and coming at it with a real sense of curiosity to develop that empathy for, for where you, for the people you're with, it, it's only going to stand you in good stead for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank, thanks, Merwin. And um, I, I'm going to say, and I should have said earlier, like anyone from now, anyone from now, including Merwin, whose question ends up uh, being featured on the podcast is going to be receiving a signed copy, Perco. Oh, wow. A signed copy. Oh. So it's halved the value immediately by my, <laughs> my writing on it. But a signed copy of my book, The Act of Leadership, which um, yeah, no matter where you are, we're going to be shipping that out just as a little thank you um, for supporting the podcast and getting involved because it's a really interesting thing for Perco and me to be sat away in our little broom cupboard as we are now recording this, having no idea, to be honest, if anyone's listening, if they're finding it useful. So just as a little thank you for getting involved. Uh, yeah, signed copies, winging its way to you, Merwin, and everyone else who's uh, uh, offered us a question as well in this. And it turns out that a few people are sitting in whatever format they're sitting in and listening to it. Their own broom cupboards. Their own broom cupboards. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes walking along the beach with the dog, listening to us or in the car or whatever, uh, because we seem to mm. keep being contacted by people who say... Can you come and work with us? And yep. when we ask the question, how did you find out about us? We've yep. been listening to the podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Which uh, yep. is always very gratifying. It is indeed. Perko, I've got a question for you, mate. And it's mm. come from Adrian. And Adrian asks, what tools or strategies do you have for leaders to help manage what Adrian's put in inverted commas, COVID exhaustion? And Adrian's defining that as heightened stress and anxiety levels, breakdown in communication, loss of belief, etc. Not only for themselves, but also for the people that they lead. And I'm throwing it to you, Perko, because in in our work this this year already, the vast majority of the stuff you've been doing with uh, our clients has been around this, you know, getting people back, whatever that means, mm. um, and and really acknowledging uh, the stuff that's been going on as a result of being stuck in this pandemic so I thought yeah throw that one to you and see what you see what you come up with well thanks Dan and I think um, and thanks Adrian for the question but I think one of the things you said there Dan is really recognizing that things are different mm. really understanding that what we're coming back to is not just the work that we used to do in the environment that we used to do it pre-pandemic or even throughout the various iterations of the pandemic that we've all been dealing with so far but really to recognise that any time anyone's coming back into that environment, they're coming back with new set of information, new set of stresses, new set of concerns, new set of potentially ideas as well. It doesn't all need to be framed in the negative by any means. And we've seen that with some really, you know, amazing uh, pivoting that people have done in relation to how they're delivering things. Um, but to really – so, Adrian, you, you point there about COVID exhaustion and I think it's such an important one. And as you frame the question here, particularly for leaders, but not, not just for leaders, for all staff, um, you know, and, and that definition you've got there, heightened stress, anxiety levels, breakdown in communication, loss of belief, uh, because it's been dragging on for a while now. I think we've just passed the, the two years since it was officially internationally declared a pandemic um, back in March 2020. And I suppose one of the things that I've been really looking at with some organisations of late is the idea of balance. How do we regain balance and what does balance actually mean to us so that we can be at our most buoyant, so that we can be at our most um, calm, to be at our most considered in the work that we're doing? And 
finding our balance is a really interesting thing because in order to find our balance, which is one of those things that really for us generally happens in a very unconscious way, we have to start to think about what are the support structures that we create in our own lives that allow us to feel balanced. And, you know, different people talk about this in different ways. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about cups and, you know, filling your cups and, and that might be one analogy I use here in, in the response. Another one that Dan and I have been using uh, with some people that we've worked with over the last year or so is this idea of an orchestra as well and the the players in the orchestra and the um the conductor in the orchestra are all yourself and the different hats that you wear in the different elements of your life um and how do we bring that orchestra into tune so that things are in harmony so that things are as balanced as they can be so that we've got a a really strong um launching pad for all of the stuff that comes up for us both professionally and personally um so when we think about the, you know what, I'm going to stay with the cups analogy for now. If, if you think, if you can uh, visualise yourself uh, with half a dozen cups sitting in front of you or a small bowl sitting in front of you and those, each of those represent uh, significant elements, significant aspects of your life. So one, for example, might be family. Uh, another one might be, for example, sleep. Another one might be exercise and another one might be whatever your spiritual life, you know, involves. Another one might be a personal project uh, that you might be working on gradually over time. And thinking about each of those bowls or cups, what's the level in each of those at the moment? How, how well have you been nurturing each of those? How have you been filling each of those cups so that you are working from a position where you're saying, okay, all of the things that are important to me are being... Um, considered are being added to I am working on each of those because I know when those are all full or foolish that that's when I'm feeling calm that's when I'm feeling peaceful that's when my sense of well-being is strong that's when I get to make good decisions that's when I don't feel resentful or that I'm missing out and you know in, in Adrian's question here talking about leaders there's no doubt that people have been working so incredibly hard in new ways, which is very taxing in itself, um, and that as a result of that work, um, certain things are suffering. So, you know, a lot of people feel that their personal life, you know, I worked with a, a school the other day and asked them what are some of the things that they're struggling with at the moment. About five people out of about 35 said that their pet is missing out. Dogs in particular were missing out, which is an interesting one because I know during the pandemic there was a bit of a, a meme going around that dogs were getting overwalked. But people feeling that they're not spending time in the ways that they would like to. And how do they get to do that? Um, and COVID exhaustion, as you've described it there, Adrian, um, a lot of those stresses are being brought around by the work that we're doing and the fact that we are out of harmony, we are out of balance. So during this time, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the concept of resilience. Um, I was working with a school the other day who wanted to do some work around stoicism and what it means to be stoic and how important it is to be stoic and strong uh, during these times. But they also wanted to talk about the concept of recovery. And recovery um, requires that we're really mindful of the fact that we are recovering. And, you know... It's interesting to think about recovery. Often we think about sports when we think about recovery and what does it mean for a sports person to need to recover? And so if we, if we talk about a footy player, for example, you know, they've done a hammy, they need to sit on the sideline for a while. 
they need to do the rehab that's required to bring them back into the space so that they can operate at their peak level again and really recognising that they are not at their peak at the moment. And that's hard for us. Um, if we look at it for something where we actually can't keep doing our job because we're not at our peak, it makes it easier. But when we can just keep going because we're just, you know, we're feeling this sense of, you know, anxiety or stress or, or some form of exhaustion, we just keep going and we sort of exacerbate the situation. And so one of the things that, you know, we're suggesting here is really that we try to find that balance again uh, and we start to consider, you know, which cups are a little bit skinny? Which ones could we add to? What can we do to add to that particular cup? What are the things that are really important to us? In addition, if we go back to another episode, um, episode 30, which is an interview um, that we did with Lucy Hone, who works for the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience, and she talks about the idea, and she's building on the work here of Martin Seligman from the world of positive psychology, and she talks about the idea of things that can get in our way when we're trying to be resilient. And she talks about the three Ps, um, those being personalising, you know, sort of blaming ourselves or, or, or feeling victimised that these things always happen to us. Um, pervasiveness, the, the idea that no element of our life is untouched by this. And permanence, the idea that this will go on forever. Um, and so finding ways to challenge each of those uh, Ps that she talks about, the personalising, the pervasiveness and the permanence, really allows us to say, actually, you know what, it wasn't really my fault that this thing happened. It's not really all about me, for example. Um, and recognising that by challenging those belief systems that are naturally occurring, um, that we can develop our resilience and we can challenge this sort of sense that of overwhelm that we can feel uh, and this exhaustion uh, that you're talking about here. Yeah, I think as well as um, having some frameworks or some language around like some specific um, tools or strategies would be, you know, when you're thinking about the, again, using the definition that um, Adrian's put forward around, you know, heightened stress and anxiety, breakdown of communication, loss of belief, all of those, um, all of those imply that there is um, a, a more optimal level mm. of those things that that we understand because if i'm saying that well I'm, i've got heightened stress i can only think of it being heightened if i know what my you know my preferred uh, level is if there's been a breakdown in communication i'm speaking as though uh well there's been a breakdown of what was working there's a loss of belief well i used to have belief and i think for leaders and i think also for, for the people um, who they lead i think being able to take the time to actually declutter a lot of the other stuff which is happening right now and really be able to zero in on if those are the things for example which have come up for you zero in on each of those things and say okay th there are many many things contributing to this which are well outside of our control well outside and that in itself, if we focus on that lack of control, that in itself will serve to heighten our stress. It'll serve to further break down communication. It'll, it'll, it'll serve you know, to only increase our lack of belief. But if we say, well, what, what's within my control? What's something I can do? And Perko was talking about this before, you know, being deliberate in saying, what's one thing I can do which might fill that cup a little bit more? But the challenge is finding the time and being deliberate to do that. Many of us are far more concerned 
if our iPhone or our, you know our smartphone battery is running at like 15%. If we leave the house and our battery's 15%, we spend most of the day looking for someone, can you give us a charge? I just need five minutes on charge just to boost it up a bit. And I wonder if we're as deliberate or as mindful about that when our own internal battery is a bit low. It's like we don't really check. We don't really check what our battery is. So I guess what I'm asking anyone listening is, if you were to take a step back and say, well, what's your battery level like right now? Could it do with a little charge? Mm. You know, what's something you could do? It doesn't have to be a huge thing. You can't take a load of time off and go on, on holiday. But I wonder if there's the equivalent of a five minute on charge for your iPhone that perhaps you could um, tap into. And I think if leaders in organizations are serious about this, then this is a priority. And this is actually on the agenda um, for the people that they work with. Much of what we're doing at the moment, as as perhaps as uh, superficial as it might sound, is actually going in and facilitating circles where people can just talk about their stuff and they can talk about how they've experienced the past two years and some of the issues and concerns that are coming up for them as you know, the world is saying, hey, we need to get back to some sort of normal. Well, it turns out that that's pretty hard to do. So when we hear these concerns, you know, and again, against the backdrop of all the, all the uh, maxims that you'd hear us uh, throw out on the podcast, you know, psychological safety, engagement, empowerment, all that stuff. Once you hear what people have got for concerns and things that they're dealing with, as the leader, what are you going to do about that? How do you now facilitate space for people to address those things? So I think there's some really interesting um, you know, challenges that are going to be presented over the next 12, 24 months in which organizations, they'll have the opportunity to really redefine how they, um, how they operate and how they engage their people. And it's the leaders who recognize first and foremost that they probably need to think about this for themselves first and foremost and be proactive. And what does it mean to move the dial just one notch when it comes to a level of well-being or dial down stress just one notch? Or, you know, how do we, how do we reinstill that belief in our people? Like, how do we get back in touch with our values and our purpose and our vision? You know, what does that look like just one notch up from where we're at, we are right now? Because once we get that little one notch up, you know, success breeds success and, and you'll start gaining um, a momentum, which not only will help organizations get back on an even keel, but also, more importantly, probably, the, the individuals within there. Mm. Recognizing the things that we can do and perhaps also, Dan, uh, recognizing the things that we perhaps should stop doing. Mm. things that may be getting in the way for us and, and shooting us in the foot in some way. So really doing a bit of an inventory, I think, of what it is that we're doing, what what we can, you know, push up one little notch uh, and what it is some of the things that we perhaps should be stopping doing. All right, thank you very much, Adrian. We've got another question here for you, Dan, from a fellow named Andy, who said, as someone who works with school leaders around the world, I'm always fascinated by the use of language in leadership, for example, trust, accountability and so on. My question to you, how do leaders treat their followers, in inverted commas there, fairly as opposed to treating them the same way? Mm. And I think, um, I mean, I know that um, the, Andy's mentioned he works with school leaders around the world, but I think this is uh, true for leaders in any, any domain. Um, you know, treating people fairly is about 
in my opinion, <laughs> is about ensuring that they've got what they need, when they need it, in order to be the best that they can be. Um, and that is going to be different for everybody. And so I like to talk about things being equitable as opposed to things being equal. Because if, 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 if things are equal, then that means everyone gets exactly the same thing at the same time in the same way. You know, whether that's uh, something as simple as remuneration or whether it's the same you know, type of leave or whether it's the same type of access to technology, support, mentoring, one-to-ones, you know, you name it. But if we're talking about things being equitable, we're saying, okay, well, what is it that you need in order for you to be your best? And that goes back to, if we think about what what. Um, I was talking about when I was addressing Merwin's question is it, it goes to asking questions, understanding your people, understanding where they're at and where they want to get to. But one of the key things about this is being really open and transparent with everybody about your process. Because if we're not, it will look like to other people that it's unfair. It'll look like people are getting things that I'm not. Or why is it you're always chatting with me and, and not the other person. So I think being really upfront right from the outset that you want um, an approach which is equitable, which is focused on helping people be their best and being really, again, to use a phrase from the Ed and Peter Shine podcast, you really personalize this approach to leadership, understanding who you've got in front of you as a person and really recognizing what it is they need. I mean, everyone knows everyone's different, and yet we often feel that, well, all their professional learning has got to be the same. Mm. You know, the way we give feedback has got to be the same. Their, their, um, the, the protocols that they go through have got to be the same. Their pathway to leadership has got to be the same. It turns out that maybe, yeah, you know, that's very efficient. Don't get me wrong. It's, very, it's a very efficient way of leading. But my question will always be how effective is that for everyone in, in, in your teams? And I know a question you've asked um, recently, Dan, is the idea of, whether um, giving everybody what you think they need um, is actually useful for them mm. or really we go back to saying to them, what is it that you need? Yeah. What is it that you need to do your job as well as possible? Yeah. Not, you know, this idea of treat everybody the way you would like to be treated mm. but to recognise how would they like to be treated. Yeah, which is, um, you know, it can be a challenge for some people because you're, you're opening up an avenue of conversation and which you don't know where it's going to go, right? And um, w if we know nothing else about people, we kind of like to know things. We kind of like certainty. But I'm going to put it to you that, you know, if you're serious, you know, if you are genuinely serious about enhancing people's lives through your leadership, enhancing, not just your company, not just your bottom line, but, you know, actually enhancing people's lives, which if you do it right, will enhance your bottom line and your company, then... Why not be a bit brave? Why not ask a question that you genuinely don't know the answer to and see where it leads? Mm. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it, it's not a guarantee of success, but I reckon it'd be an interesting journey, if nothing else. Mm. And fairly, um, as opposed to equitably, you know, mm. do would it be fair to ask Dan whether everyone needs the same amount of time mm. from you as a leader? Is is that is that fair? Is that equitable, or is that? Again, different strokes for different folks. I would suggest, yeah. I mean, what what is fair? You know, is mm. it is it's. I, th I think even speaking about about this, as I said, being really open with the team about this is what I mean 
when I mean fair. There are some people who don't want to spend as much time with you mm. as 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 you're spending with others. Yeah. And and if that's working, and if that is allowing people to feel a sense of empowerment, agency, autonomy, and that and they're doing and producing good work, mm. then sweet. I don't think you should be forcing people into a one size fits all just to appear fair, mm. because it might be fair, but then so might your performance. Mm. Interesting. All right, mate. Well, I've got one for you here um, from uh, Matt. And Matt asks, or Matt states to start with, he's had a promotional position in his organisation until a restructure happened um, a couple of years ago. So he's at a school and he's missed out on the new positions. He's gone back to teaching and he's enjoyed not having the additional work that came with the leadership position promotional positions don't come up very often and his boss is a couple of years away from retirement or so he says and Matt's wondering he's asking you Perko should he be looking for another position in another school or should he just hang in there yes we've had a little bit of a discussion about this question Matt thanks for sharing it with us I suppose one of the things that we've come down to here is the question is really do you actually want to be a leader um, you had a leadership position uh, as a result of the restructure, you've reapplied for that position and missed out. You've ended up back in a teaching-only role, which, in your words, you said you've enjoyed not having the additional work that came with the position. That may have changed over time, but as it currently stands, from what you've said here in your question, it sounds like you're reasonably happy uh, in that role of, of teaching-only. Um, so I suppose, think about, do you actually want to be a leader? Because there are two different things here. There's the teaching role, which, you know, let's face it, but in reality, as teachers, we are leaders. There's no doubt about that. But to having, having a formal uh, leadership position, is it what you actually really want? Or perhaps have, have you got caught up? Do we naturally get caught up in this idea of, Forward progression, movement forward means I become more experienced, I put up my hand for more jobs, I, I, I move onwards, I move upwards. And, you know, we've had an interesting example just in the last couple of days with uh, Ash Barty. Might seem like a strange uh, analogy to be making here, but Ash Barty was on the super highway of super success as a tennis star. She was obviously, you know, well into that uh, journey of success, 25 years old, three Grand Slams to a name, number one in the world for the last couple of years. It would seem very obvious that she would continue down that path, that she would look at more Grand Slams, that she would look at more travel, she would look at more money, she would look at more experiences. And that's the natural route for somebody to go. But I think um, as we've all been impressed by Ash Barty, I don't know too many people who aren't impressed by Ash Barty, I'd be interested to hear why, but all impressed by Ash Barty in so many of the decisions she's made. But she said that, you know, this is enough. She's done what she wanted to do and now she has other priorities and she's stepping off that treadmill that seemed, you know, almost insane to be stepping off that treadmill. It was the logical path to keep going in that direction. Um, but she's chosen not to. And I, I read something interesting that she said a couple of days ago. It was attributed to her saying, you know, does she still love tennis? Will she still hit tennis balls? And she said, yeah, I'll always keep hitting tennis balls, um, but I'll never do it as selfishly again. So she's made a decision that where she was and, you know, how she was feeling, the, all the things she was missing out on, um, she wants to rectify that and uh, and change that balance and, and really step off and you know there's that that great sort of quote you know be careful what you wish for uh, which I think goes back to Aesop's fables um, and you know 
Is it is it actually what you want, Matt? Is I, I think that's a question for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because to be honest, um, you know, when you ask, should I be looking for another position in another school or just hang in there, mate? We're not. You know, it's not our place to to tell to to tell you that, particularly if we get it wrong. Um, <laughs> but but uh, as Perko says, like you know, often in our coaching work, often people will will come to us with the challenge that they think is the challenge, and we're always a little bit, um, well, patient and and curious, just to say, well, let's let's just dig a little bit deeper there. And so, you know, the 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 obvious the obvious. Um, treadmill the obvious path that people go into is they they do a job they get good at the job they get promoted they do well at that they're there for a longer time they get promoted again I think you have a real opportunity here because as you say well you've got a couple of years away you know that you don't need to make a decision on this right now which is nice so maybe just sit with it for a while and say okay well what would my life look like if I do take on a leadership position again because you've had a taste of it what would it look like and obviously without knowing your personal circumstances but what would be the knock-on of that more responsibility work more leadership what kind of challenges come up about that what aspects of the leadership work do you really enjoy what aspects of the leadership work would you rather not um, have you know ongoing What, what would it mean for you being able to you know do your own things with your family or 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 whatnot and, and sit with it and say, okay, well, what happens if I say yes to a leadership position? And maybe sit with that for a week. What would it look like? What would your week look like? What would you be able to do, not able to do? And then sit with it for a week where you go, you know what? I'm not. I'm actually not going to pursue a leadership position. I'm going to stay in the teacher-only role, as you, as you put it. And how does that play out? What's the, what's the pros of that? What are the, what's the upside of doing that? But then what are the cons of that? Because maybe, and again, without knowing any personal circumstances, but maybe there's you know, a financial plan that you have that, that requires, for, you know, requires you to get promoted or, or whatever. And so I really do think sitting with the question of do you want to be a leader for a while, because you, the, the, there's not a decision that needs to be made today, sit with that for a while first. Chat with the people important in your life. What does it mean? you know, for you to be a leader or not be a leader and then decide, once you decide on that, then you can start thinking, okay, well, what does it look like to hang in here? Even that phrase, you know, I'm just hanging in here versus being proactive and getting out there and looking, maybe finding a, an organisation which is a real good fit for you. All those questions come secondary, I, I believe, after determining whether or not you actually want to be a leader. Mm. I think that's a really great process that you're suggesting there, Dan, that idea of, you know, literally week on, week off, sit with this, yep, this is my decision, what's everything that surrounds me around that, or, you know, week, you know, the next week. Another one that works really nicely here, and I've used in my own personal life to great effect, actually, is De Bono's Six Thinking Hats. Mm. And I won't go into it in any great detail here, but suffice to say that essentially you do what Dan's just suggested with the weeks, but in this case it's hats. And you wear six different hats, one after another, and you might just spend 10 minutes wearing each hat and maybe do it through a couple of iterations. You know, the red hats, what are all the emotional responses that you've got to this idea of changing schools or or the idea of going for a leadership position? The black hat, what are all the negatives uh, that go with it? And just when you're wearing that hat, literally or metaphorically, just stay in that hat, just list all the negatives. Because it turns out that we have default positions you know I'm supremely optimistic uh, and so I tend to wear 
the next hat, which is the yellow hat, which is what are all the positives that could come from this? And that's generally, I get caught in that space and can't really see the negatives. Uh, and so by taking that, putting that hat on and taking it off, the green hat, um, what are all the creative possibilities that can come from this? The white hat, what, what's all the information that I've got? And that can be really helpful as well, you know. Um, really emotion yeah just, totally emotion free pure yeah. data pure yeah. data yeah uh and then the blue hat which is the the probably the most challenging hat which is sort of the metacognition which is how has my thinking process gone here um so it's really thinking about our thinking dan can i indulge yourself and the listeners with a little anecdote about mr de bono mm. as part of our podcast <laughs> I today I, I like this story uh, so feel free it, it is a very uh, so for the benefit of people who don't <laughs> might not know who Ed de bono was yeah you know one of the yeah, real, what would you say, thought leaders in thinking, I yeah, guess, is one thought way. leaders of, in thinking, yeah, yeah. that'd be the one way yeah. of putting it, yeah. Um, uh, a fascinating guy. He's actually the guy who, who coined the idea of lateral thinking. Mm. Uh, he had some really radical and interesting uh, processes to come up with really alternative ideas to, to addressing problems. Um, he died last year, in fact, but a bit over 10 years ago, I was speaking at the International Conference on Thinking over in New Zealand, and, uh, and I was a very last-minute uh, entry into this. There was a high-class field and they, they had a little quiet spot to fill it <laughs> and that's how I snuck in the back door. But one of the absolute stars of this conference was De Bono and people had travelled, you know, far and wide to come and uh, listen to him speaking in Wellington in New Zealand. And um, so I was preparing. I was actually co-speaking with somebody else who ran a, a children's charity and... We were prepared and we were excited. We had some great slides, you know, everything set, beautiful room, beautiful tech facilities. And, you know, half an hour before we're there and all prepped and 20 minutes before and we're thinking, oh, we should get a few people any minute now. Ten minutes before, nobody. Five minutes before, a couple of people shuffle in um, and we're and comes to, you know, one minute before kickoff time and we've got about five people in the room, a room that holds about... 200 people probably it was uh it was a great uh, hit to the ego and a great reminder of uh, you know a bit of the need for a bit of grace anyway at the very last second i just walked up onto the stage and i thought oh, i'm going to present to these three people five people whoever they deserve it uh about 40 people rushed the back door and i'm going oh, oh this is that's brilliant. better that's better it's yeah. only 40 but yeah. it's it's fantastic it's better than five, better than five. <laughs> i was so excited and cass i turned to cass who i was presenting with and she's got a smile on her face going oh beautiful and then one of them doesn't just come in he comes right up to the stage and he says oh excuse me mate and i said yeah i'm just about to start here and he said i'm oh, just wondering uh, if we can borrow some chairs edward de bono is speaking in the next room <laughs> we need more chairs so all 40 of them grabbed a chair and took it into the back of de bono's room I it love was it. humiliating oh. devastating but, hey look at you now mate look at me hey, now hey. Hey. Leadership yeah. podcast there we yeah. go podcast hey. there, there you go. go thanks for that i don't think i think i don't think de bono ever had a podcast <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think you've got our last question from Jennifer. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jennifer. Yes, we do have a question from Jennifer. Um, this one's for you, Dan. Yep. How do you build trust in a senior leadership team after working remotely for so long? It was once there, mm. but now it really needs some help. Yep. I think um, the challenge that Jennifer's facing here is one that so many teams, so many teams are facing um, around, you know, this... The, how do, we, how do we get people 
back in a relationship which up until two years ago was largely predicated on face-to-face interactions, incidental conversations. You could literally feel how people were feeling because of the, the way, you know, of our, of our limbic loops and whatnot. Yeah. And now we've had two years where we are all you know, reduced to a, a three by three um, square on a, on, a, on a screen. And if we're being honest, for the vast majority of time, we kind of know that people are in the Zoom call or the Teams call, but you can tell by their eyes that they're looking at something else, they're thinking about something. They seem to be taking a heck of a lot of notes, you, <laughs> you know, as they're, as they're typing on emails to other people about other things. And we're not seeing, we, we literally haven't seen or felt um, all the other stuff that goes around what people say. So, all, you know, when, we, when we're online, we, we get a lot of what people say. But then just this, is, um, you know, we're not seeing and feeling that the follow-through. We're not seeing and feeling, that, as I said, those incidental um, uh, conversations that we're having, the, 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 the conversations that would take place over a cup of coffee and, yeah. and, and whatnot. And so I'm reading this or I'm hearing this question, not at that, you know, someone's been um, completely you know, undermined or I'm not hearing this as, you know, there's been a malevolent um, tearing down of trust. I'm reading this as more of the mainstream um, challenge that people are facing and saying, okay, well, how do we get back to what we had? And I think that in Jennifer's question is it was once there. Great. In the same way in Adrian's question at the start, it's around, you know, um, we recognize something has changed. So what I would say, my advice would be being able to call it. So what I mean by that is getting people back when they feel able to come back, getting people back and saying, hey, you know what, things have changed, let's acknowledge that. We've changed, let's acknowledge that. And the way we work has changed, let's acknowledge that. So all the evidence that we had about how we work and who we are, that's somewhat shifted now. And so we need to start again. We need to... um, Let's get it out on the table. Let's get on the same page around some small things to start with and start showing each other that we get each other and we know um, what each other needs in order for to, to be their best and make a commitment to each other to work on these small things to start with. And I'm, th- I'm saying that, you know, you could be doing this in the course of a, just a 24-hour cycle or a week or a month and slowly but surely just start reestablishing, rebuilding what was once there you've got the blueprint like you've got those relationships you've got those trusts but we have to recognize that there's so many things have have shifted in some cases maybe quite small you know slightly in other cases quite significantly and so calling it putting it out on the table what what is it i need here i need to know this i need to know that you know Mm. um we had we were doing an online um session just the other day and someone was talking about you know the if i if i'm seeing you in a meeting and you're looking at me i know you're engaged i can tell from your body language that that you're with me on zoom or whatever your preferred video conferencing platform is uh, we have no affiliation here um you know on the, i don't have that you could be looking directly into the screen i still don't know and it's 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 a lack of information rather than a lack of, uh, or a lack of evidence that helps me understand that you're mm. with me than I would suggest in most cases than 
it's that rather than a deliberate attempt to undermine Meisel and whatnot. And here's the thing, I think some bigger organisations perhaps who can afford to do it might have missed the step a little bit. They might have exacerbated this lack of trust by being somewhat overreaching in their attempts to ensure compliance or accountability, you know, like monitoring screen time. I I, I was reading an article the other day where some companies have invested in monitoring keystrokes. So literally counting the keystrokes to ensure that their people are working from home. And that act, that act says, you don't trust me. So why should I trust you? You know, what the best way to build trust, this goes back to a chat I had with Damien Hughes back on the podcast a few few months back. He had this simple, I mean, he has a beautiful, simple way of talking about complex issues. And he just says, you know, the best way to get trust is to give it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just his opinion. There's a lot of research that just shows that the best way to build trust is not to, to wait for signs that you can trust other people. Just give it and see what people do with it. Mm. People who are trusting tend to be more trusted. Mm. Um, and and get it, again, you know, getting the team on the same page from the get-go and saying, this is what we're building. Never mind your, out, your profits, your bottom line, your, your products. Let's get this right first. Let's get back on this same page. Because going back to Jennifer's point, saying it was once there, mm. you've got evidence that it can be done. And perhaps what worked before... Mm is no longer going to work, which is an interesting way of looking at it. I'm interested in what you were just saying there about giving the trust. Mm. You know, I've got two upper teenage kids. I know you've you've got kids, Dan, as well. And that idea, what I'm really recognising with them, because, you know, you can keep your your hand on the the lid of the pot and Mm. make sure that nothing ever happens, but of course stuff's going to happen. Especially with teenagers, definitely keep the lid on the pot. (laughs) (laughs) With the teenagers... You've, you've really got to give opportunities mm. to get it right yeah. because if you're just controlling all the time, you're going to drive yourself mad. Mm. And the thing that's going to happen with teenagers, which I'm sure can be applied to Jennifer's situation here as well, is that they just start lying mm. because they're going to do what they're going to do mm. and we have to give them some opportunity to do it well. Mm. And I suppose exactly the same applies to workers in the corporate world or, mm. or whatever the world that Jennifer is from. Absolutely. Well, mate. That rounds us out. That is our questions for the day. As I said, anyone who's, um, all those people who have submitted questions, that winging its way to them in, in short order will be a signed copy um, of the book. Um, you know, it's, it, as we said right at the start, it's really cool for us to hear from people who um, listen to the podcast, hear what they get from it, hear what they want to get from it by asking questions. So again, we'll, we're going to try and be a bit more diligent in doing these Q and a episodes throughout the, throughout this year. Um, if you know, you, you're keen on, on submitting questions, you can head over to habits of leadership.com uh, at any time and submit questions there. Um, but one thing we'd really like you to do because it's, um, really, it's a small gesture that you can, uh, make, but it has a really profound effect actually on the way our podcast is then promoted to others. Is if you could, if you've enjoyed these episodes, you know, you can leave a, a, a rating on Apple or wherever you listen. You can leave a review, which is really powerful if you can do. But one of the most powerful things you can do is just share it, share it far and wide in, in your networks. Um, because again, any, any um, small step in, in spreading the word is greatly, greatly appreciated. Perko, we're busy, aren't we? The, the Habits of Leadership Academy. Mm. How many have we got in the academy, do you reckon? 
Rough number. Come on. 60. 60. 60, 60 people yeah. currently in the uh, Habits of Leadership Academy in which we uh, we listen to podcast episodes like this one or, or more often uh, with our, our guests and then we dig into it. And at the moment, the gates are shut, I'm afraid. The, the doors are well and truly locked, padlocked. Uh, security camera outside. No one's getting into the academy. But mm. if you are interested in in hearing when the academy doors are open again, again, head over to habitsofleadership.com and you can just put yourself on the waiting list there because we will be opening the doors again for new cohorts in the coming months. And we would love to have you as part of the academy. Mm, absolutely. Dan, I've got a little line I want to share with you and our listeners to finish with. I've been on a bit of a spiritual voyage over the last few months, been getting right into some yin yoga. Okay. And just in relation to the challenges, you know, we've, we've been watching what's been happening down the east coast of Australia mm. with flooding and, you know, terrible experiences that, you know, um, schools, communities, everybody's been having. Mm. Um, and... Thich Nhat Han, who is a Vietnamese spiritual guy who also died uh, very recently, um, he had a great line, the present moment is filled with joy and happiness. And if you are attentive, you will see it. Beautiful, Perko. Finish on a spiritual note Absolutely. today, Absolutely, mate. And if not, if people aren't feeling positive after your <laughs> your dulcet tones in their eardrums, then I don't, I, I can't help them. Yeah, so we got nothing left. We've, We've got given nothing everything left. today. Yeah, that's We're it. Spent. We are. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. So as we always say, feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can. If you've got any questions or you just like to learn more about our work or join the academy, head over to habitsofleadership.com. Perko, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Dan. Go well. Indeed. And for everyone listening, take care, take it easy.